I want to welcome you today. Uh, it's, it's, man, it's a beautiful day outside. So I'm glad you've chosen to be here. I'm glad you've chosen to, to be with us in worship today. Uh, we're in a series called Come and See. We're going through the book of John. And I really love going through the Gospels. I love the story of Jesus. Uh, and I love sharing that. And this whole series is about once you understand who Jesus really is. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is God's son, God in the flesh, then shouldn't we be telling everyone to come and see who Jesus really is? And so we're on this discovery, going through the Gospel of John, to, to really find out who Jesus is. Uh, we'll be looking at different aspects of his divinity, looking at uh, different things that he did and said, and, and why that matters to us today. Uh, I'll kind of back up and give you kind of a, a little bit of an overview. Last week we kicked the series off by looking at John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, uh, we have the introduction of Jesus, and it's a little bit different because it's not the traditional Christmas story. It's uh, he came and dwelt among us. The, uh, it, you know, he was there from the very beginning. We're introduced to John the Baptist as the one who was preparing the way for Jesus. And then we see Jesus start his ministry and, and call the disciples. to. And he, he literally told them, come and see. Uh, just come and see. Just come and follow. Come and see what's about to happen. Next, we see uh, Jesus go to Cana of Galilee and do his first miracle there. Then we see Jesus and his disciples travel uh, to Jerusalem for the Passover. And, and while there, he goes to the temple, turns over the tables of the money changers. Uh, and then we start seeing the different encounters he has with different individuals. So Jesus speaks with a religious leader. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in John chapter 3. Then we see that he talks with a woman who is known for her promiscuous lifestyle. We see him talk with a government official. We see him have an encounter with a man who is lame. And in each of these encounters, we see Jesus speak into their life. He's able to see past the surface. He's able to see what they're thinking and feeling and experiencing and, and then speak truth into that. And it really, again, is just all examples of how uh, incredible how divine Jesus really and truly was. But in John chapter 3, if you got your Bibles, you can flip there. That's where we're going to land today. We see Jesus have an encounter with, with a VIP of the time, a very important person, right? Uh, this, uh, in, in this first extended conversation we have in the book of John, we're introduced to a man named Nicodemus. Uh, we see his credentials, why he's important, why he's a guy who knows what's happening uh, in Israel, why he thinks he deserves God's favor. And we also see Jesus speak into that. Uh, this meeting happens in secret. Uh, Nicodemus couldn't really be seen with Jesus, uh, a man of his position, of his authority. Uh, this would cause trouble with him. So he meets in secret. Now let me tell you a little bit about Nicodemus. So he was very serious about his religion. He was a Pharisee. The main thing to understand about Pharisees is they were serious about following the law. I, I said in first service, it would be like they would be the, the teacher's pet of today, right? These would be the ones who like, hey, I memorized it. I did extra work. I did everything I was supposed to. And then I went beyond that. That really describes the life of a Pharisee. Uh, we see these guys just, it's incredible how many laws they had to memorize and know and understand. I was reading this week and 
uh, I, I found some numbers here for you. Judaism teaches the Old Testament had 613 commandments. There are 248 do's and 365 don'ts. <laughs> and so they had to keep these separate, right? The Pharisees, they were around 6,000 men. Uh, they were committed to obeying every single command. When you became a Pharisee, you would pledge in front of three witnesses that you were going to uphold every detail of the law for the rest of your life. In fact, they were so committed to following the law that they created additional commandments, a different, additional rules to protect them from even getting close to breaking uh, the original uh, 613 commandments. Now, I'll give you a few examples. One of the original commandments was to keep the Sabbath day holy. And so to keep it holy, you've got to avoid work. So you couldn't work on the Sabbath. So what does that mean? Uh, can you tie a knot on the Sabbath? They said, no, if you tie a knot, that would be considered work. So you can't do that. So that posed a problem. How could they get water out of the well? Because they couldn't tie their bucket on the end of the rope and drop it down in the well, pull out water. Well, they also decided if a woman ties a knot in her clothing, it is not work. So guess what they did when they needed water? Instead of uh, they got a piece of clothing and used the clothing to tie the knot, then they would dip down and get the water out. Makes perfect sense, right? This is kind of how they lived their life, though. Everything was, can we do this or can we not do this? Can we do this or, or how, if we can't do this, then how can we figure out a way where we can do it? And so it became just this endless exercise in do's and don'ts. I don't know about you, but that sounds miserable to me. That just sounds miserable. And, and so through all of this, they were serious. They wanted to obey. They wanted to follow every letter of God's law. But I, I don't know about you, but I don't care. Can I move my... They couldn't even move their chair closer to the table because that was work. And then they said, we couldn't do that and on the Sabbath. And it was just... It was just it was just kind of insane the level of detail they went to. And so that kind of brings me to my first point this morning about the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they were religious, but they neglected really the most important thing. They neglected a relationship with God. They neglected that. I would say in today's world today, and you may disagree with me on this, but I look around and I think that we live in a very spiritual age. I think people want to be spiritual. They want to be religious, but that doesn't really mean that they have a relationship with God. What do I mean by that? You look around and, and, and people say, yeah, I, I want to I, I be a good person. I want to be spiritual. And they'll worship something, but it's not always the God of the Bible. And, and so almost half of Christians in America believe that there are many ways to heaven. That should scare us a little bit. That should, that should be a little bit of a wake Like, you mean, they're, they're, you know, it's not really about Jesus. It's just about being a good person. And that's really the trap, I think, that the Pharisees fell into. They kind of boiled all of this down to, if we do what we're supposed to do, if we check off every box, then we're going to be okay. Then, uh, and I would say what we do today in our world is, in people's attempt to be spiritual, they kind of look at all the different world religions and philosophies and beliefs and they'll say, I like this part of this one. 
I like the moral conduct of this one, so I'll pull this, and I don't like what this says about this, so I'm not going to listen to that. And we kind of pick and choose and kind of create our own version of Christianity or religion. And what we, in effect, have done is we've created God in our own image instead of uh, allowing, uh, allowing ourselves to worship um, God who created us in His image. And that's, again, I feel like we just live in this spiritual age where people are open to spirituality, but they really don't have a relationship with God. And so that's the, the, the world that we live in. Um, and so kind of speaking into that, I would say that's very, in, in some ways, similar, yet dissimilar to the time uh, when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. Let's look at John chapter 3, verse 1. We'll kind of pick it up there. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Um, and if you think about the Pharisees overanalyzing everything, this makes perfect sense, right? They, they were like, what do you, we've got, they overanalyzed every little law and command. So when Jesus said, you must be born again, he's like, wait a minute, that's impossible, right? The word Pharisee means that you were separated uh, from everyone else. And, and so you were separated to live a holy life according to the law of God. So how could we describe this guy, Nicodemus? I would say this. He, he was a good man, but he was also a lost man. He was a theological insider, but he was an outsider to God. I'd say he was a rich man, but he was also spiritually poor. Uh, we look at him and we would say that he's a moral man, but yet he is also a condemned man because he really doesn't truly have a relationship with God. I read this week uh, this statement, and it got my attention. It says, no one gets a passport to heaven to eternal life, but everyone needs a birth certificate. You see, there's something that has to take place in the life of every individual if you want to have a relationship with God. Uh, Jesus, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again. Uh, Nicodemus, he's a powerful leader. He's the, one of the ruler of the Jews. Most Bible scholars think that he was a member of what's known as the Sanhedrin. Uh, in addition to his role as a Pharisee. And if you want to know what the Sanhedrin was, it's like if you would combine the U.S. Senate with the U.S. Supreme Court. Put those together, and that is what their role and responsibility was. He's a man with authority, with influence. But even in the midst of all that, when he, he has this encounter with Jesus, he had to humble himself. One, even to meet with Jesus showed humility. Right? I mean, he, he kind of arranged the secret meeting. Uh, not only that, the first thing he says to Jesus is rabbi. That was a sign of respect. That was a sign, rabbi means teacher. He's saying, you are going to be my teacher in this interaction. He's acknowledging, right, we've seen you do miracles. You've got to be sent by God. This doesn't make sense any other way. And so he's coming because he's concerned. 
He's confused. He wants answers. And he thinks Jesus can answer his questions. And so that's kind of the basis of this conversation. Uh, remember, again, he knows the Old Testament forward and backwards. He knows all 613 commandments. He knows all the additional commandments that they've created to explain the original one. This guy is the kind of guy that has an incredible resume. He's the kind of guy that if he showed up at your church and wanted to serve, you would look at his resume and say, you're in. We need you. Yeah, get to work because you know your stuff. You're smart. You're educated. You've got the background. You've got the, the experience. We want to put you to work. And, but Jesus sees through all of that. Um, and, and, and he says, wait a minute. Your religious credentials, they're not going to be good enough to get you into heaven. In essence, right, that's what Jesus is telling him here. You're not going to get into heaven on the basis of what you have done. The only way you're going to get into heaven is through rebirth. Right? I can just, I mean, at that moment he said that, can't you just see the confused look on Nicodemus's face? Can't you just imagine what he's going through at this point? Wait a minute. I've never heard anything like this. I don't remember seeing that in the Old Testament or in the, in the scriptures and the, and the scrolls that we're using. I, I don't, that doesn't make sense. And so the first thing he does is go literal. What do you mean I, I'd be born again? But Jesus says later in, in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says something similar. All right? He tells the, the people that are gathered around, he says, I warn you. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The people, when they would hear this, they would say, well, that's impossible. Uh, the, the, the Pharisees, they're the most religious people we know. They're the most devout people that they know. we know. They're the ones who have everything memorized. They're the ones who teach us. They're the ones who we look up to, and you're telling us we have to be better than them? It's impossible. And that's the same thing Nicodemus is going through here. It's impossible. What do you mean to be born again? That, that doesn't happen. That doesn't take place. Uh, it's not, I don't understand what you're saying. And that kind of brings me to my next point today. If you want a relationship with God, your old life must die and you must be born again into a new life. Um, I think last week I mentioned the, the movie The Blind, the, the Phil Robertson story. Have, how, how many of y'all seen that so far? A few, few. It's, it's a good movie. Uh, we went during, uh, I can't remember, when, we went this past week to, to see it. Uh, I think it was Tuesday night, yeah, we went to see it. Um, and I'm a Duck Dynasty guy. I got to admit, I, I know I don't look like it, but I like me some Duck Dynasty, okay? I've got a Jace bobblehead on my desk. So when I'm preparing my sermon, his head is just nodding with me. I'm like, yeah, buddy. We're talking back and forth, right? He just shakes his head and like he's telling me to preach it, okay? That's, I know that's weird. But that's, I mean, I like, I got my Uncle Cy teacup, you know, at home. I like my sweet tea, although I had to kind of quit drinking it because of kidney stones. But I like Duck Dynasty. And in that movie, it's kind of the story of Phil Robertson, the dad, his, the story of his life. And um, he gets to this point where he's at rock bottom. He's an alcoholic. He's kicked his family out. He's living uh, in a trailer in the middle of nowhere. And he really is at the bottom. And this preacher comes to meet with him. And they just sit down and talk. And in the movie, it shows this scene, and the preacher says something to him that, 
uh, it, it really caught my attention. The preacher just said, Phil, you've got to die. And then you need to be born again. And it just hit me because that's not like the language we typically talk in church. We don't say, you need to die first. <laughs> you need to die, but then you can be born again. But in essence, isn't that what Jesus is telling Nicodemus? If you want to have eternal life, if you want to be in the kingdom of heaven, then you've got to die. Your old way of life has to be put to death. Now think about that. Jesus says the same thing, right? You must take up your cross daily and follow after me. What does that mean? We, we, our old way of life is gone. It's put to death. We don't, we don't continue in that old way of life. But yet you go to churches today and they're like, just say a prayer and just keep on trucking. You don't have to change anything. There's a heart transformation that needs to take place. And it only happens when we allow the Holy Spirit all right, to enter our lives. And that only happens when our old way of life is put to death. And so that's the imagery I, I want you to think here, right? Uh, the old way of life has to die. For someone that's in sin, someone that's struggling, I think that makes sense. But Jesus told that to Nicodemus, the guy who thought he was doing everything right, a guy who looked perfect on the outside. But that's what being born again is all about. It's about it doesn't matter how you're living your life. Until you put your faith in Jesus, you're going the wrong way direction jesus replied let's keep going in verse chapter three uh he said jesus replied i assure you no one can enter the kingdom of god without being born of water and the spirit humans can reproduce only human life but the holy spirit gives birth to spiritual life so don't be surprised when i say you must be born again the wind blows wherever it wants just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. So Nicodemus is hearing all this. He's processing all this, but he's unsure. He's like, I, I, I just don't know. I'm not sure about this. Jesus is saying there's only one way to heaven, and it's by being born again. Nicodemus is still trying to take it literally, but Jesus is not referring to a physical birth. He's talking about being spiritually reborn. That's why he talks about the wind blows all these different ways, right? It, the only way, think about this, for Nicodemus, you were guaranteed entry into the kingdom of God based on who you are, based on being born into the right family at the right time. Based on that, based on keeping the commands. And so the only way you would be kept out of the kingdom of God was one, if you blasphemed God, or secondly, if you were just a wicked person. And so for him, he's thought his whole life, my identity gains me entrance into the kingdom of God. And I would say that's a, 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 the, the same type of philosophy that we experience today, especially in an area like this where there's a lot of people who have grown up around Christianity. Well, I, my grandparents went to church. They were members of a church. I went with them sometimes, so that means I'm a Christian. I grew up in a Christian family, so because of my identity, I deserve eternal life. And we, again, it's kind of hard sometimes to 
uh, to push back into that in, in our culture today. Uh, I've heard it said that we've been inoculated against Christianity. We, we receive just a little bit of it, uh, uh, enough to make us think we have it so we don't need any more of it. <laughs> There's some truth to that, I think, in our world today. And, and so we've got to realize we need Jesus. And that's the point that he was trying to make with Nicodemus. Jesus says it's a spiritual birth. The Spirit of God is what makes a person alive and new from the inside. And when you die to your old way of life, the Spirit takes residence inside you and comes to live inside you and transforms you from the inside out. That is what enables us to live the Christian life. It's what enables us to worship God in a true way. But the problem is with the Pharisees, they were trying to do it all on their own. Let me achieve, let me get good enough, and and then maybe God will accept me. The reality is they missed in the Old Testament what God had promised. We see this in Ezekiel chapter 36. It's an interesting passage. Uh, It says, "Then Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. If you take someone's heart out, they're going to die. This is a picture of the old being put to death and a new heart being transplanted in that brings new life and so Nicodemus and the religious leaders they missed this they were so focused on doing good that they missed the essence of what a relationship with God was all about and Jesus is telling them I don't want you to clean yourself up I want you to make room for the spirit and allow him to do it for you I would say um, I was thinking about this growing up in this area you've probably heard a lot of sermons in your life um A lot of sermons, I think, can be summarized by two simple words. Don't sin. Don't sin. Don't do this. 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 And if you don't do all that stuff, then you're okay. We know there's more to it than that. Right? We know that the Christian life, it's not about just not sinning. It's about having a relationship with God. I've heard it called uh, sin management. (laughs) It's kind of where we fall into the trap these days. We try to manage. We need a new heart. We need a transformation. And when you focus on the heart, you focus on the rebirth, you focus on what is made new, then I'm telling you the sin is going to take care of itself. Because you're going to be close to God. The Holy Spirit is what guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit is what convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit is what shows us what is true and holy and right in life. That's what we need. Not just a more, an, another effort to clean ourselves up on the outside. We need a new heart. That's what we need. And so I read this week it said, Um, This is interesting in a a commentary I have. It says, you can't be perfect. We know that. In fact, we're all far from perfect, so we need more than a little touch-up. We need to be made new. Our radical corruption from sin demands a radical redemption from God. We need a brand new birth. 
Jesus uses the wind to illustrate the Spirit's work. He says the wind blows where it pleases and so does the Spirit. In other words, you can't do anything to make yourself come alive spiritually. You may be able to clean up the outside, but you can't remake the inside. What must happen for you to enter God's kingdom is something that you are unable to do. You, you cannot do enough to enter God's kingdom. You cannot keep enough rules. You cannot give enough money. You cannot attend enough services. You cannot memorize enough verses. You didn't do anything to be born physically, and you can't do anything to be born spiritually. The only way you can be born again is for the Spirit of God to do it. If you're not a Christian, you won't become one by work or effort or ability or sacrifice, but you can pray for God to send a spirit like the wind to blow through your dead heart and to bring you alive again. That's what we need. That's what we need so much, to to die and be brought back to life. Let's keep going in John chapter 3, verse 10. Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, I assure you, we tell you what you know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. There's some foreshadowing going on here. It's going back to, it's in, you'll find it in the book of Numbers, the, uh, the Israelites were suffering from a snake bite, a deadly snake bite, and Moses you know, lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, and when people looked up in faith and saw that, they were, they were healed. Um, and they, they, they lived. They were saved when they looked up and had faith. What happened with Jesus? He's foreshadowing that he's going to be lifted up on the cross. And when people look up at the cross, they'll be saved and healed. Brings me to my last point this morning. We, this whole series is about this. We invite people to come and see how to receive this new life. Once you become a Christian, your life now is centered around this. I have found the greatest joy and news of my whole life. That's why we do shoeboxes. It's not to pat ourselves in the back. It's because people around the world need Jesus. And they may not be open to a preacher coming or a church opening in their community, but you bring toys and gifts to children, it opens up opportunities to share the gospel. It opens up opportunities. And we, 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 just, we can't be afraid to invite people to salvation. John 3.16 can be found everywhere. It's the verse that almost everyone knows. The children learn it. You'll see it on sporting events, on billboards. Uh, the football players have it in their eye black. Everybody's John 3.16. But in context, you, we're, we're coming to it now in the context of the story. Nicodemus is hearing about being born again. He's confused. He's, uh, he's upset. He's concerned. And this is what Jesus says. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through Him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in Him. But anyone who does not believe in Him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world but people loved the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. 
All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to, come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. This whole passage, for God so loved. The for is kind of a transition statement. Based on the fact that he's saying, I must be lifted up. Why? For, this is the reason, for God so loved the world. He's explaining why he has to go to the cross, and it's because of love. The greatest love that mankind has ever known is the love that God demonstrates towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us so much that uh, Jesus came and lived the life that we are unable to live, and he did what we were unable to do to pay the penalty for our sin debt, and then he went to the cross on our behalf. And when we look up in faith at that, we will be saved. That's the gospel message. That's what we're inviting people to come and see. His purpose was not to condemn the world. You get that, right? God desires a relationship with each and every person. The Jews, they wanted a religious leader, a Messiah, a king to come and condemn and conquer the Romans and liberate the Jews from oppression. But God says, no, what you need is a new heart. You need a new spirit living inside of you. Jesus is telling us there is life beyond the grave. That we need rescue. We cannot save ourselves. No more than a baby could birth himself. We can't save ourselves. And so we're drowning in our sin. We need rescue. And we're all trying to achieve our way out of it. And that's when God steps in and says, no, there's a better way. And it's through Jesus. It's through trusting and believing and through faith. Throughout the, the, the New Testament, we see this explained in many different ways. Uh, but this point is reemphasized time and time again. I want to take you on a quick journey through a few passages as we close today. The first is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul says this, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. It's what our job is now. To help people be reconciled to one another and to God. Titus uh, chapter 3. But when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of His grace, He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. John uh, chapter 20, a little bit later, it says, But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing in Him you will, you will have life by the power of His name. Ephesians 2, God saved you by grace, by His grace when you believed. You can't take credit for it. This is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. And finally, 1 John five thirteen, 
I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. In the, I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you may know. So obviously, my question for you this morning: Do you know that you have eternal life? I think Scripture is clear. We can know. We don't have to doubt. We don't have to spend our life trying to be good enough to earn God's favor. It's not a matter of how much you go to church or how much you give or how much you serve. Or it, we're not trying to tip the scales in our favor. It, it's simply acknowledging who Jesus is and why He came and putting our faith, our trust in Jesus. And He changes us. He saves us. He transforms us. We have, if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you doing what you cannot do on your own. And if you are not saved, then all the effort, all the, the things that you're trying to do will never be enough. Because it all comes down to, are you born again? Nicodemus, he hears this. It's kind of interesting, this famous passage, for God so loved the world. What does he do? He walks away. He walks away at this time. He's not ready. I don't want you to walk away this morning saying, I'm just not sure. I write these words to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so today we're going to end our service. If we can go old school here. I'm going to give you a chance to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that are so true, that are so powerful, that can change our life for all of eternity. And it starts when we humble ourselves and we acknowledge who you really are. We acknowledge that Jesus truly came and lived the life we could not live. He lived the perfect life. That Jesus came and uh, was crucified for our sins, that he conquered death in the grave and three days later rose back to life. And because of that, we can live with you for all of eternity. That we can receive a new heart, a new spirit living inside of us that guides us into all truth. So Heavenly Father, we just pray for each and every person here today that they would be able to say with confidence, I know I'm a child of God. I know I have eternal life. If you're here today while every head's bowed this morning, you're listening and you've heard this message and you're like, I'm, I don't know. I've been trying to be good enough. Can I tell you that no matter how hard you try, it's never going to be good enough. There's only one way to God and it's through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're watching online. We've got people tuning in each and every week from numerous places, from our website and Facebook and YouTube and our podcast and all these different places listening. And I, I want to just invite you, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stop right now and really examine your heart. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never put your faith and trust in Him, then right now, right here, your life can be forever changed. I want to invite you to pray with me. Now, the words that you say, it's not the order of the words or the saying them in the right sequence. It's just a cry from your heart, acknowledging and yielding and surrendering your life, dying so that you may be born again. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for Jesus. Just thankful for Him. I believe 
I believe Jesus is who he says he is. I believe that he came, that he lived here on earth, that he lived that perfect life. He went to the cross for me. I believe that he died a death that was meant for me. And he became the sacrifice that pays the penalty for my sin. I believe that you raised him up, God, three days later, that Jesus came back to life. And right now, I want to put my faith, my trust in Jesus to save me. I want to be born again. I want to experience that new life, that new heart, that new spirit living within me. Lord, help me to to be like Jesus. Help me to live like Jesus. Help me to be transformed, to be uh, just to, to live a life that pleases you. Right now, Heavenly Father, come into my life. Save me. Transform me. Heal me. Rescue me. Help me to be born again. And I'm going to follow you. While every head is bowed, before we look up, would you just uh, slip up your hand and say, Mike, I'm going to, I believe. I just prayed that prayer for the first time. Anybody here would just be honest enough to say, I prayed that prayer today. Online, guys, you have an opportunity to do that as well. You can comment, let us know, send us a message. Anybody? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love, for your grace. And I just pray that your word continues to go out and we see lives changed by the power of the gospel. We worship you today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.